Thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. We're going to get to work this morning. Y'all ready? We're in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. I think this is my second or third time here since Tim came, which means that we're, we're a little more like family now. So I'm going to kind of dig into it with you. How I like to preach is that this is a workout. So if you're here to work out, you're in the right place. We want to grow. We want to stretch. We want to learn. We want to understand. Uh, so let's dig into it. Father, we give you this time this morning. We are truly desperate for you. We are, um, we are babies in need of milk. And we want to eat solid food as, as we are admonished in Scripture. We want to move on to the good stuff. Strained carrots are nice, but they're not that nice. We want to move on to steaks and hamburgers and potatoes. We, we want the good stuff. So help us if we need to grow up this morning a little bit. And I know we all do, including me. I pray that your word would come forth and change our hearts and minds because from you is from whom we need to hear. So please speak for we are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. We live in a toxic world. I don't know if you all have figured that out yet, but it is a toxic culture. I don't know if all cultures had the same sense that we do. I think they... I think they probably did. Um, Probably for us, it can feel a little more so because we are constantly filling our minds with social media feeds and uh, CNN, unless that's a bad word for you, and Fox News, maybe that's a bad word for you. But you get it. I mean, this constant back and forth, uh, even McCain's passing away was an opportunity for more vitriol, more anger, more hatred, more caricatures of what I think those people are like, and they're not part of my people, so I don't care who they are or what they think or who they really are as people, my job is to tear them down and rip them up. It's terrible. It kind of makes you angry. Um, I, we, our, our, it's a little sword, but it's noisy. Um, I, that's actually a good point. I... Um, went to Costa Rica for about a month this summer. Our church community is starting a sister community in Samara, Costa Rica. It's a small little beach town on the coast of the Pacific on the Nicoya Peninsula. We're working on an entrepreneur school there. Uh, we are doing a, um, some English training, English lessons, a lot of discipleship, marriage and counseling types of things as well. So I was there and disconnected from so much of what was happening here, it was all I could do to try to stay connected to our church community, much less worry about um, the different news sources that I had become a little bit addicted to. And as I was there longer and longer, it was almost like a, a detox. And I realized, wow, this had a hold on me. I mean, this was not healthy. I don't need to know about all that stuff. You know why? I can't do anything about it. 
Maybe I can pray about it, but generally I'm not praying about it. What I'm doing is often developing this low-level anger in my life. And so here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, if you have that, uh, please turn to it in your Bible. It says this, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Be angry and do not sin. What gets your blood boiling? What gets you really mad? Were you mad this past week? Are you mad right now? Did somebody do something to you on your way here? Did you get an email when you woke up? Are you carrying anger or bitterness from this past week? If Donald Trump in 2020 is elected for another four years, does that cause your heart to race? If Hillary Clinton makes a surprise comeback in 2020, she gets elected. Michelle Obama is her vice president. Does that get you all fired up? Maybe it's the BMW. Have you ever done this before? You're sitting in traffic. It's long. You're trying to be a good citizen. And there's this exit lane here that you could use to cut across and beat like 100 cars. But you don't. But this BMW, you see him in your rear view, side view mirror. You see him just flying up that exit lane. And then he whips in and cuts you off. You slam on the brake. Coffee goes everywhere. You've got a meeting. You're already late for. Ooh. You have to take deep breaths, don't you? Anger is everywhere. So why in the world? Here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, does it say, and there's four commands here, by the way. We're going to talk about all four of those commands. The first command is be angry. Be angry. That's the first command. Be angry. Should Christians ever be angry? The context of this, uh, this book, as you may already have gone over, over in uh, previous messages. But Paul, this is one of his prison epistles. Uh, most scholars, biblical scholars, believe it was written around A.D. 60. A.D. 62 is when the crazy, crazy emperor Nero, who was famous for holding parties and using Christians as human candles to illuminate his parties... He wanted to redesign Rome in his own image. This is what happens when you have too much money, too much time, and no responsibility. And so he decided he was going to burn down Rome. He burned down about 10 of the 14 districts of Rome in AD 62. Around that time is when Paul was in prison. We don't know this exact dates. Some would say Paul died before that happens, happened, but we don't know. The point is this. It was a terrible time for Christians in Rome. Moreover, Paul himself was unjustly accused and in prison, awaiting... By the way, prison for in that time was not like a sentence. You weren't sentenced to prison. 
you were either sentenced to like death or freedom. Prison was a holding cell until you got your opportunity before the emperor, before the judge, or whoever it was that was going to hear or, or try you. Here Paul was. He was in this prison in Rome. Uh, church tradition tells us he was in this prison called the Mermantine Prison. The Mermantine Prison is, um, it's, it's actually said Mamertine. Uh, the the uh, some of our church historians, uh, or, or for example, the Roman historian Sallust, wrote that neglect, darkness, and stench gave this prison a hideous and terrifying appearance. Tacitus wrote, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations, called Christians by the populace. It's just not fair. It was not right. It was unjust. And so I think here in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is leading with be angry because there are times when we ought to be angry. This is not threatening, by the way. This is punctuating. But it looks threatening. And that's because our anger is often threatening, and we use our anger to lash out at people. We use our words to cut people down. We get angry, we get jealous, we covet, we want something we don't have, so we'll talk about people, we'll create havoc, we'll steal it if we can. But there's another kind of anger as well. There is a righteous anger. And there are things we ought to be angry about. And perhaps this morning, for some of you, your issue isn't so much that you need to deal with your temper, your lashing out at people. But maybe there's some stuff that you ought to get good and mad about this morning. You ought to be angry about it this morning. You ought to tell yourself, my neighbor is dying and going to everlasting torment, and that bothers me. I am not okay with that. I ought to be angry about that. I ought to be angry about injustice. I ought to be angry that there are people in this world who are suffering, perhaps in my own community, and I am perfectly content to let them be so as long as I have the latest iPad. That comes out evidently September 12th. I knew that. You know what I mean? We ought to get good and angry about some things. And our problem is our anger is not righteous anger. Our anger is really selfish anger. And we'll even disguise that anger as righteous anger. But it really has to do more with my needs, my preference, the way I want things done, not getting met, not getting satisfied. So this morning we're going to talk about how to get real anger. How to be angry for real. Because we need both. I'm not making this up. Paul says here, be angry. I even double and triple checked it. He's saying be angry. He's not using other terms here. He literally says 
there's a time to be angry. How to be angry for real? Just so you know, real stands for, what do you think R stands for? I told you this is going to be a workout. This isn't even, we're not even warmed up yet. Righteous. There you go. Righteous anger. I thought that was on the screen. I'm sorry. <laughs> Righteous anger. E is errorless anger. A is activate anger or active anger. L is to be on the lookout. But I want you all to remember that when we leave here today. So I do want us to be angry, but in the right way. How to be angry for real. Righteous anger. Did you know that Jesus was angry? Did you know that Jesus was angry? There's two very clear passages. There may be others that we just don't know of for sure. One is the very first time that we have recorded, other than when he was a kid, when Jesus went to the temple in John chapter 2. And in John chapter 2, verse 17, it says, Making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. His disciples remembered it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. He was angry. He was angry that people were pushing out worship with their commerce. Remember, back in the day, we, they didn't have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was meant to indwell the temple of God. So if you couldn't access the temple, you got no God. You had to go to the temple. But Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, or the woman at the well, the day is coming when true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. But what was happening was people were crowding out worship with the buying and selling of sacrificial animals, with the changing of money and probably cheating people in the process. And that made Jesus furious. Furious. So much so that with a cord, and I still can't wrap my head around how you can be threatening with a cord. I can't even figure out how to be threatening with this little sword. But somehow Jesus used a cord of rope to drive a whole bunch of very motivated people out of the temple because they were blocking people's opportunity to know God. Does that bother you? Do you get torn up about people being blocked from worship? You know one thing that kills our worship more than anything? A lack of unity among God's people. God hates it. There's no, there's no two ways about it. Jesus told his disciples... They will know you are mine by your love for one another. How can it be that we barely think about or know people in other church communities around Loudoun County alone? Why do we get torn up when somebody else is at that church and not ours? In our church community, I had somebody come to me very apologetic because they went to another church, a good church. And um, they said, I, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry. I don't mean anything by that. And I said, I'm serious. How, how serious can I be? We are one church. If you go here or there, you're, we're, it's the same church. It's no difference to me. I really mean that. That's why I'm here this morning. We're part of the same church. There's one church. Do you really think God's upstairs, upstairs with ledgers going, uh, let's see, we got the Baptists over here, the Methodists. No, there's one community. It ought to tear us up a little bit, and we ought to actually do something about it. What about tearing up the unity in our own local community? 
Does that bother you? So that when somebody says something, ooh, I hold it in. It makes me mad. I'm going to simmer on it. And I'm going to let it work itself out. Oh, I'm too holy to actually lash out. But I will talk behind your back. I'll use you as a prayer request. Dear God, please pray for Joe Henriquez over there. He's got real issues, serious, serious issues that I just wish he didn't have. You know what I mean? That kind of stuff. There's some stuff we ought to get angry about. Righteous anger. So there's righteous anger and there is also, according to Paul here, we're to be angry and do not sin. Be errorless in your anger. What's our? Righteous anger. Have righteous anger. E, errorless anger. And do not sin. Be without error in your anger. Unrighteous anger is concerned with my goals and my rights. Errorless anger is jealous for good. But righteous anger can never dismiss grace and love. Notice here in this passage, Ephesians chapter 4, this is coming in the context of of a text that includes 17, verse 17, all the way over to verse 32. As a matter of fact, you all make mention of that in your theme for this series called United in Christ. Go ahead and look in verse 31. 431, let all bitterness and wrath and anger be put away from you. Well, hold on a second. Does Paul have issues? Is it that dark in there that he forgot what he wrote? No. Because he's saying be angry and do not sin. There is a kind of anger that leads to sin. But we are not pursuing that kind of anger. We are not pursuing an anger that erupts when my needs are not met, when I get offended. Does that make sense? And some of us here really do struggle with that kind of anger. I get that. I get that. As a matter of fact, in my own life, I pursue that. And it happens in subtle ways for me. I don't know how it is for you. I tend to get angry when I feel like I am not getting what I deserve, when someone's trying to take advantage of me when they're not playing fair. That starts to create an anger and a bitterness. Now, that does two things for me, and this is sort of us working through it and talking it out. On the one hand, it is not right for me to let the bully get away with it. That's not right. That's wrong. That's something I'm going to fight against. I will say no to that. But on the other hand, that same At that same moment in time, I must guard my heart and recognize that I am free in Christ and I have all that I need. What do you do with somebody who recognizes that they don't need anything? What do you do with somebody like that? But that's who we are in Christ. For God has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So on the one hand, I can say, no, it is wrong to take advantage of someone. It is wrong to do that. I'm not going to let you do that again. I'm sorry. On the other hand, I don't have to turn that into bitterness and resentment and anger in my heart and make it personal. 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers, against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's where our battle lies. So I don't need to lash out at a person when I don't get my way. You understand the difference? It's so important because I've been in churches where people recognize something is wrong and they rightly want to do something about it, but they make it about the person. They make it about an individual. And so we yell at our children, we lose our tempers, we scream at the driver who just cut us off in the name of fairness but that becomes unrighteous anger. And and part of that is because we need a higher view of people. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis in his book, The Weight of Glory. And he writes this. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. No ordinary people. We want to treat people with respect. They are made in the image of God. That is an honor, a beatific, that is far beyond any degree, any political party, And so while on the one hand I will stand against evil, on the other hand, I will respect the image of God in every person. It is one reason why Christians were the first to stand against slavery, because they had God's word that said men and women are made in the image of God. So whether or not I disagree with you, you still have the grace and favor of God resting upon you. So friends, show some respect. To God and his image in people and how we talk about other people. Can we please just stop doing that? Can we stop contributing to the anger and toxicity in our society? That doesn't mean I agree. Donald Trump has done terrible things. That's no secret. The way he's treated his wives over the years, for starters, that's not a big shocker, but God has put him in a place of authority. So I pray for him. I ask for mercy and I pray for justice for everyone or the other side. Perhaps there's fewer fans of Hillary here. I don't know. But she is still a woman made in the image of God who Christ bled for on the cross. That goes for anyone in my world. Why are Christians known as being so angry? always mad about something. It's not my job to change people. You know, I'm a pastor and I can't do my job. I can't change you. I can't force you. I can pray for you. I can tell you the danger of what might happen, like, ouch, that looks like it's really going to hurt, but go for it. So we don't have to change people. We're not in the business of changing people. I'm not in the business of trying to make you agree with me. I want to speak the truth, and I'll try to stay faithful to that with humility. 
have errorless anger. So R, have righteous anger. E, have... Y'all are tired. We're going to do this again. How to be angry for real. R, be righteous. Come on, be righteous. Pretend you're in the deep south. R, be righteous. R, be righteous. E, be errorless. Be without sin in your anger. And A, let's keep going with our verse here. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, as I was studying this passage, um, I was personally kind of surprised that I've missed something for years about that verse. You all have probably heard that before. For as long as I can remember, I've heard it applied to marriages. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Resolve things and so forth. There's two kinds of anger. There's active anger and there's passive anger. Active anger can be both good and bad. I can actively attack you. I can jab you. I can sneak behind you and slash you. There's another kind of active anger, though. There's the kind that says no. No more. I'm not going to put up with that. You want to have human trafficking in our society? No. Me and my church, and I mean Big C, we're going to stand against that. We're going to say no. You can't do that. Sorry. We're going to support law enforcement. We're going to do whatever we need to do. We're going to work within the communities where that's an issue. We're going to say no more. No. That will not happen. And we need more of that. So when it says here, do not let the sun go down on your anger, it's not merely passive. Like rolling over before you go to bed and say, honey, I'm sorry that you're such a big jerk and I got mad at you. We do that too, so watch that one. It also means don't let the sun go down on your anger. Do something about it. Dear God, it's so terrible that my neighbor Bob and Sally Sue are such terrible people. And I know that they don't go to any church, and I'm pretty sure they don't care at all about you. Amen. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. If God puts something on your heart that you know is an injustice, and he moves you in such a way, do something about it. I was talking to somebody this morning who did something about their concern for um, health issues in the future. So they did something about it. I want to be around to serve God as long as I can, as long as he gives me breath in this body. I'm going to do something about it. I've been wasting hours watching TV, perhaps. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to cancel Netflix. I'm going to cancel Amazon Prime. And I'm going to use that time to build a relationship with Billy Bob and Sally Sue so that perhaps they won't be doomed to an eternity apart from God. Do you get what I mean? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And too many of us are too content and too willing to just be nice Christians. 
There's a difference between being nice and being good. You just asked my 12-year-old son, 11-year-old. Don't tell my wife. He's 11. He doesn't think I'm very nice sometimes. He doesn't. Sometimes he thinks I'm a big meanie, big jerk. I mean, I remember when I was growing up, my father is sitting over there right now. He graciously came to join us all. I remember going into the bathroom and looking at my backside, feeling terrible for myself because I got punished. And I know we don't always do that anymore, but I'm serious. I thought, my dad is such a big meanie. I hate him. But man, it was love. It is no fun to discipline your kid. If it is fun, that's a problem. But it ought to be no fun. And I'll tell you, for me, it is no fun. It is a pain in my rear. I don't want to take time for it. I don't want to do it correctly. I would rather just yell and be angry and make it go away. But loving discipline takes time. But it doesn't feel nice to the one being disciplined. Growing in Christ, friends, will not feel nice if you're doing it right. It's hard. It's humbling. It will bring tears to your eyes as you realize the pride, the covetousness, the anger, the resentment that can be in your heart, and you're like, holy smokes, I thought I was pretty good. I joked that I was a really good person before I got married. And then I realized how bad I was. All this stuff just came up, and I'm like, holy cow, I had no idea. How does this relate to anger? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. If the Lord brings something to mind, if he puts something on your heart, if there's an injustice happening in your world right now, please stand up and say no more. With the breath that I have, that cannot continue. There's somebody at work that's getting picked on, and you roll with it because you like being part of the group, and so you join in sort of that subtle making fun. Stop it. And in a wise way, weave other people against it. Make them feel kind of dumb by your righteousness that they would do that to someone. There's bullying for adults too. Say something about it. That's what it means to worship God with your life. It doesn't mean sitting in a chair singing songs. Worship is an expression of my life before a holy God, and sometimes I have to stand up and say, no more, no more, because if you don't do it, who will? We are called to be light in darkness, and there is a time for anger, but don't let the sun go down on your anger. I did a quick study on um, problems when we allow passive anger to continue in our lives, uh, this is what the study says. Uh, one study from Washington State University found that people over the age of 50 who express their anger by lashing out are more likely to have calcium deposits in their coronary arteries, an indication that you're at a high risk for a heart attack than their mellower peers. Letting your anger out explosively may be harmful because it triggers surges in stress hormones and injures blood vessel linings. However, simply holding in your anger isn't the answer either. 
This has been linked to increases in blood pressure and heart rate. A new study even found that suppressing your anger may triple your risk of having a heart attack. But we don't need science to tell us what the Bible already says. I mean, science is great. I love it. But God has been saying this for hundreds of years. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. If you can do something about it, do something about it. But if you can't do something about it, it's awesome. Well, I, I live a holy, I serve a holy God. I love going to bed every night. It's like going into the grave. It's a reminder of my limitations. I am perfectly useless for six to eight hours every day. I do nothing. I add nothing to my world. It is a way of saying, Father, you are sovereign over all. That person, I think, is a big fat jerk, and they need to be punished. But you're the punisher. I will do what I can while the sun is up, but when the sun goes down, it's all yours. My spouse that I would love to change, my children that I wish were different, that I worked so hard to help, but they still don't get it, they're yours. It's an amazing balance. That's what I call wisdom. The balance we have in Scripture to both be actively working towards righteousness and goodness in our world and in our lives, but when I lay my head to sleep, the Lord, my soul, keeps. I love that often when we wake up, the day has begun. God starts without us. There's a beautiful rhythm for that that we can talk about in another time. How to have real anger, R. Thank you, brother. E, A, active. And then L, look out. Be on the lookout. Give no opportunity to the devil. Give no opportunity to the devil. There's a devil, diabolos, satanos, those are the two Greek words. There's a devil. Daniel was seeking God once regarding a matter, a matter. in verse 12 of Daniel. Uh, I forget the chapter at the moment. He said, uh, an angel came to Daniel, and he said, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. This passage blows my mind. I don't even know what to do with it. Daniel had been praying for a long time for God's help and provision. The help that he'd been praying for was detained because the prince of the Persian kingdom was resisting him for 21 days before Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help him. That sounds like a battle. And that must mean there's times when I'm praying for something and it's not that God doesn't hear me. There's a battle going on. I don't even know where to put this. And we probably shouldn't try too hard because it's one of the very few instances, these brief windows into another dimension that God gives to us. But there is another dimension. Go figure. 
Every culture in the world has an awareness that there's something more than this. There's something more than these hundred years. Something else is happening. Where did that come from? God has put eternity into our hearts. That's where it came from. In his book, The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis wrote, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. In Quakerism Examined by John Wilkerson, this was written in 1836, he said, one of the artifices of Satan is to induce men to believe that he does not exist. Another, perhaps equally fatal, is to make them fancy that he is obliged to stand quietly by and not to meddle with them if they get into true silence. I've been taking jujitsu now for about eight months. And um, one of the things you do in jujitsu is you wiggle your way into positions. It's quite infuriating, but it's one way that you win. You just kind of get a finger in there and then you wait for the guy to get tired and you push a hand in there and, and pretty soon you've finally gotten a submission. It's a, it's a millimeter by millimeter approach sometimes. Don't give the devil a foothold. That has also two sides to it. Don't give the devil a foothold in your life by allowing anger to stay in your home, in your heart. But there's another side to it. Don't give the devil a foothold and say, no more. This shall not be. Who's going to stand in the gap? Who will stand up for the persecuted, for the downtrodden, for the fatherless, for the immigrant? Who will stand up? And say, no, we will seek justice, but we will not be unkind. We will be generous and gracious whenever we can, because God has been generous and gracious with us. Who will stand in the gap? I don't know if you saw uh, Lord of the Rings. I think it was Fellowship of the Ring, where they're down in this cave. The orcs are attacking them. They're running away. They're almost overcome. And then, all of a sudden, the orcs flee. And at one moment, they're like relieved because they were about to be overrun by these orcs that were about to consume them, quite literally. And then they hear a... just echoing in the cave, and it's very ominous. And a demon had been awoken. And the orcs knew it, so they fled for their lives. And the demon comes forth. And the demon wants to consume the fellowship. I don't think it's a coincidence Tolkien used the word fellowship. For we Christians are a fellowship of Christ. And the demon comes forth huge, scary. And they all turn to fight, but Gandalf says, go, run. He stands literally in the gap on a bridge. And the demon with all its flames and fury, huge, mighty in comparison to Gandalf. And he holds up his staff and he says, you shall not pass. 
shall not pass. Who here will say, you shall not pass? We just make a highway for demons. Go on by, no problem. I got my little safety net here, I'm good. Just don't step on the lawn, please, but right, drive right down the street. You shall not pass. Don't give the devil a foothold. He's got a foothold in our world. He does. And there's times to be angry and say no more. Be on the lookout in your own heart, in your life, in your family, but in our world as well. Be on the lookout. There is a devil. There is real evil. People are not inherently good. We are fallen creatures who have the opportunity for redemption, but that is not an accident that comes by the grace of God. And but for his grace, I would be right there with the best of them. Will you say that today? Will you be somebody who exchanges selfish anger for righteous anger? Will you be errorless without sin in your anger? Will you activate your anger? Don't be passive with it. Deal with problems, deal with sin, but lay your head down at night in peace and rest and be on the lookout and be someone who is willing to say no more. How will you do that? You'll stop being selfish. Maturity means that I look past my own needs and start caring for the needs of others. Immaturity is only being aware of my own needs. Babies are remarkable examples of that. They are clueless. They're adorable, but they're clueless. It's not adorable when you're 30 or 25 or even 15. Friends, I love you all. I pray that all of us would move towards real anger, righteous anger, errorless anger, active anger, and that we would be on the lookout. And some of us this morning, I do believe, need to get a little angry. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this chance to work through this text with my friends. It's a short text, but there's a lot in there. Lord, I don't come today as someone who has figured it out. I come today needing you to change my heart just like we all need it. And I pray that you would. Please, Lord Jesus, um, if this morning we find ourselves in a place of passivity, let us change. Let us move forward by faith, using the gifts and abilities and opportunities that you've offered to us, never ever feeling like it's our job to cast judgment, but rather it is our job to speak the truth in love. Give us wisdom in doing that. All of this takes a lot of working out to do it correctly. So let us seek wise friendships and relationships who can help us walk through this together. We love you so much. Let your church be the church. Be a people on a hill, a light in the darkness, a refuge for the broken. Amen. Thank you all so much. God bless you.